0: To another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Daniel Hanley. And joining me on the other line, you can tell him to manja, but he's too suspicious to eat.
1: It's John McMahon. <laughs> what TV show am I in? <laughs> is it the Americans? <laughs> is am I a is spy? Italian? Am I a spy? I don't what's know happening? what's happening. <laughs> yeah, great. Um, yeah, I'm not usually one to pass up a meal, but if it's, you know, if my fake wife, uh, agent who doesn't know she's an agent, serves it to me after I revealed partial of myself, yeah. <laughs> I might skip that one.
0: After I have revealed that I've been lying to her more than. She already thought I was lying to her.
1: <laughs> but I still didn't tell her what I actually do.
0: Oh my God. It's like really wild.
1: <laughs> it absolutely is. Nonetheless, thank you for the invitation to enjoy this meal.
0: <laughs> Amazing. All right. What are we what are we talking about today, John?
1: One of the longer episode titles in The Americans Canon. Americans season three, episode nine, Do Male Robots Dream of Electric Sheep? directed by Stephen Williams and written by Joshua Brand. And Danielle has a, at this point, like typically and frustratingly short IMDb summary. (laughs) Let's
0: see if I can get this in
1: one breath. Let's do it. So that's the new challenge, I think.
0: (laughs) Okay. Philip and Elizabeth struggle with the gravity of unexpected collateral damage. Okay. I could have done like 12 more sentences.
1: (laughs) I think, Danielle, there's kind of no place other to start when discussing this episode than the extended sequence at the robotics repair facility where Philip and Elizabeth, (laughs) apparently, um, bug mail robot, repair shop, machine shop, whatever, bug mail robot. And in the process, Elizabeth, like, both has this deep conversation with old woman Betty, uh, who is the mother of the owner of the shop. Um, At which point she compels Betty to commit suicide by taking so many of her pills.
0: I feel like the the place I want to start is like in the interaction with Elizabeth and Betty. And I wonder, like, what does it feel like for Elizabeth to have this like honest, you know, for her conversation? Because that's something that takes up a lot of space in this episode. So I'm just wondering what you thought about that.
1: I mean it's clear that Carrie Russell is playing Elizabeth as incredibly shook by the conversation. Like yeah. you know, and so I guess it's a combination of Carrie Russell and the makeup artist on this episode, but just like look at like her eyes. If you yeah. just watch Russell's eyes over the course of the many, many, you know hours? Is are they together? Hours, an they, hour or more?
0: I think they must be together at least an hour or more.
1: Yeah. So you track those several scenes of this conversation and just kind of like in Carrie Russell's eyes, but there's this, you know, moment where, and I guess Elizabeth has kind of had this in other places, but seemingly the most directly honest with like a pure quote unquote civilian, like somebody who has no connection to the spy game that she is relatively by her standards, honest about what she does with her life yeah, and why she does it and what it means in that particular moment. But I definitely noted and kind of like wondered myself if there was some sort of feeling of relief where Elizabeth actually gets to tell a version of what her truth might be to somebody who's not like in the game.
0: Yeah. And I thought it was interesting, right? Because it seems like when she, so this, this like interaction happens in two parts, right? It happens. First she sees the light go on and she goes up there gun drawn, basically like, ready to kill someone like she always is. Yeah, exactly. And then they sort of start to have a a conversation. Betty asks a lot of questions and also just volunteers a lot of information. She's literally a TV writer's dream. Um, Yeah, seriously. and, And then, like, Elizabeth kind of presses pause, pulls the phone out of the socket, takes the keys... And goes to check in with Philip, who has, like, been down there for what feels like long enough to plant a bug. There's, like, a lot of, like, twisting and turning happening with A lot with of tools. ratcheting.
1: And I'm not sure, like, what exactly needs to be ratcheted out. Like, I get that they're embedding the bug somewhere deep inside Milrobot. But, like, there's a lot that Philip seems, like, you know who Philip needed? He needed KGB woman who gave, yes. donated her earrings to the cause.
0: Earrings lady. One yes. million percent. And like, listen, did Earrings lady do the best job in the entire world? She was a little slow on the uptake, but.
1: Would you have been know. faster than our boy Philip.
0: Faster than Philip. So we get, we get, that's like part one. And then part two, Elizabeth comes back after she has this exchange with Philip, who's essentially like, and not in these words, but is essentially like, a ha- like why is she still alive? like a yeah. version of that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Elizabeth go Elizabeth kind of like there's an ambivalence to her and when she gets back to Betty that's that is when the like the the more honest part of the conversation starts to unfold and like you see Betty realize that like she's not going to live through the night and she verbalizes that too but yep. you also sort of see Elizabeth sinking into that reality too which I just found really fascinating.
1: Especially given the way in which Betty's story or mere presence on the show pulls on, like, particular of Elizabeth's emotional strings, right? Because Elizabeth has on her mind that her mother is sick, right? Her mother, who's probably around Betty's age, is sick back in the Soviet Union, right? Betty talks about how her husband fought in the war, right? We know Elizabeth's dad fought in and probably deserted uh, the Soviet army during the second world war. Like there's these ways in which, you know, not only is Elizabeth like, well, I didn't want to have to kill this person. And like, technically I guess she doesn't like, you know, uh, but coerces her to do it herself. And then additionally, it's like, it's extra layers to this particular person that she is compelling to commit suicide.
0: Yeah, and, like, extra layers that she's compelling to commit suicide, but, like, the – is this – I guess maybe this is a question and also just, like, a question I'm working through out loud together. Um, But, like, is this the first time we're seeing someone compelled to commit suicide in this way? Like, this feels like the first, like, slow death in this way.
1: Yeah, I mean, we have uh, the slow deaths of the show's past, right? Like you think about Amador at the end of season one. Yeah, um, but this is different. And I mean, this is like a, a side, tangential question, but like, has a did Elizabeth study pharmacology yeah. in KGB <laughs> school? Like, does she know like the effects of different drugs, or like just making a kind of inference um, that Betty has a weak heart and takes heart medication? So if she took Two dozen much. of them, 20 of them, too many yeah. of them. You know, and Elizabeth feels like she has to sit there to make sure that this happens. Yeah. And then also, you know, to your original question, Danielle, like, seems to... Mm -hmm. get something out of this conversation even as it's kind of you know torturing herself to do so
0: two quotes the first is betty saying like this is not how i expected it to end but she also does kind of invite its end like there's not a shock in the realization it's like if there's this kind of like slow welcoming which i think matches it just like it matches the energy of the scene but the other sort of pocket of quotes I want to pull out from from the conversation between Betty and Elizabeth um, is when Betty asks Elizabeth do you have children yes and this is what you do and then she asks why and Elizabeth says to make the world a better place and and then like Betty has this response right like about like oh that's evil people say that mm-hmm. at once we get this moment this like quiet moment, this quiet death and this quiet moment of honesty for Elizabeth or like some semblance of honesty. And also like in that quietness is like what I think is a pretty searing critique of like the entire enterprise that she's, and and I guess like part of why I'm putting it on the table is like, I think it would have been incredibly different if Philip were the one being asked those questions. How so? Because I think that Philip doubts sometimes the mission. And I, I think that, like, it might be that Elizabeth gets pulled in different directions sometimes. And I don't think she ever doubts. And so it didn't feel like Betty was trying to, like, in, instill a kind of doubt. But I could see that being taken up in that way, for, like, with Philip. In a way that, like, you sort of get... It It can be, like,
1: Elizabeth has this, like, fortitude about her her beliefs, it's an excellent point. And this, I mean, steps a little bit on where we're going to go in a little while. But at the very end of the episode, I think the final line of the episode is Philip essentially saying, I do this to protect my, or yeah. my you know, my primary, my job is to do something for my family or protect my family yeah. or something to that extent. And Elizabeth would probably not say that, I yeah. don't think. You know, and she doesn't say that in that moment. the The contrast is heightened by Betty being like, well, it's good to have a partner, a friend. Yeah do you have kids? Yes. Then why do you do this? And like, you know, I guess there's potentially an implied make the world a better place for her kids, but I don't even think it's that for Elizabeth, right. It is that deep commitment to the cause.
0: Well, I was just going to say, it feels like there's a in communism, everyone's family vibe Mm -hmm. to what Elizabeth's saying. Right. So if like Philip is protecting his family. Like, so is Elizabeth, but like not the like maternal like paternal bond version of, not the nuclear family.
1: Absolutely, yeah. The
0: the communist family.
1: Yeah, the proletarian, like, global family.
0: Yeah. Can you tell I've been reading Du Bois this morning? (laughs) (laughs)
1: It's a good way way to start your day.
0: It's not bad.
1: (laughs) No. I mean, there's... What did you make of... The show writing this so that Betty's husband or (laughs) double husband, right? So they're married. (laughs) I love that. He leaves her for another woman, and 27 years later, or whatever, they get back together. Yeah. Um, wherever the case is, and made him like he was a World War II veteran. He helped liberate the concentration camps in Europe. He like came back utterly changed and transformed and no longer religious and unable to talk about what he saw there like as part of the character other than the contrast between Betty's deceased husband and Elizabeth's dad.
0: Yeah. I think like that contrast, but also I guess I was thinking about it. I was thinking specifically about the, like the double, like they were married once divorced and then married again and then together for a long time of Betty's story because I think like there is a way that that's not necessarily a foil to Elizabeth or her family, but like how Elizabeth might envision a future.
1: Or just like a description of the fact that at times Philip and Elizabeth are in love with one another and substantively married. Yeah. um, Regardless of the continuity of them being married according to some marriage forged marriage certificate somewhere on file.
0: I bet their marriage certificates not forged.
1: Yeah, that's true. You're probably right about they're that.
0: They're like American marriage marriage certificate, yes, forged. But like they're I think like they're married, Soviet Union style.
1: <laughs> I actually have to no comment this one. Okay. <laughs> Great.
0: Okay. To to be taken up in the dossier at some point later, <laughs> I'm Absolutely. sure. Yeah. There is an emotional bond between them that like sometimes is really strongly felt and other times is not. And I think it's important that like, especially against the backdrop of like the, the Philip and Martha stuff, which we'll come to talk about Mm -hmm. like this sort of Elizabeth seeing someone who has experienced a life where like the official version of marriage has like ebbed and flowed a little bit, I think is like perhaps cathartic um perhaps scary. I don't know. But I think like yeah. it's there's like there's that like projection piece of it.
1: Yeah, and I think that's connected to something that Betty tells Elizabeth about them her and about Betty and her husband's marriage to Gil in particular. And that is that, you know, she said eventually they both realize that they the goal wasn't to try to turn them and turn the other person into someone that they're not. Yeah. And I mean what is The struggle between Philip and Elizabeth, if not, who's been turned by the US into people and who can be turned back in particular ways. And then, especially are both Philip and Elizabeth running their own version of turning page into someone that she's not. So they, it's another line that kind of haunts, yeah. and, you know, again, TV writers, dream character who just like <laughs> gives somebody all of these things to say to Elizabeth and this sort of scenario to, to, so you know, it's, it's another, to go back to a bad metaphor, like another string that gets pulled. Yeah. For Elizabeth to unravel.
0: Yeah. And like, I think to your like, earlier point about like Carrie Russell's acting in these scenes like we see the unraveling of Elizabeth yeah, okay. around these questions right mm-hmm. because it doesn't seem like these are questions that she actually has to think about very often um and that she wasn't necessarily intending to think about them tonight and there's something about the perfect storm of um like Phillips kind of coldness about Like about Martha and Betty's presence when she wasn't supposed to be there and Betty's questioning that all sort of like brings this up.
1: Yeah, there's a certain coldness and well, there's a nonchalance to the whole mission. Like we were talking before the show. And as you pointed out, Philip and Elizabeth not going in disguise on this mission
0: hats hats of disguise i
1: have thoughts on the hats that guys we get to you're record.
0: spies get out let's, <laughs> let's uh ratchet it up a little bit i
1: know it's like you don't want to stop it like you know <laughs> safe house g- garage number 12 tonight but like come on take the extra half hour oh to get God. there really so there's there's like the nonchalance to the episode to the mission in general in this episode and then there's specifically coldness as you put it or nonchalance from philip about like the whole scenario precisely when as you pointed out had it been philip in that room with betty Mm -hmm. he would have been even more fucked up by the conversation and yet he's just like she picked the wrong night to come in you know like that's literally a line that that uh or she picked a bad time to come in that's the line that philip gives to elizabeth
0: a hundred percent and philip
1: like doesn't notice that Elizabeth is deeply affected by this conversation.
0: Well, yeah. And like at the, like right at the end, not only is Elizabeth deeply affected, but she's crying. I'm like, we've never, I've never seen Elizabeth cry before or at least she's cried before. Has she?
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: When she got shot, like, (laughs) like, I don't know. Or, or rather like the deep emoting feels like Mm -hmm. out of character for Elizabeth.
1: Yeah, or, or or deep emoting that's not, like, righteous. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Oh, I right, guess. I guess she cries when Gabriel dies. Or, Gabriel, or
1: like, not Gabriel. Not Gabriel. Gregory. Gregory. Yeah. Everybody's
0: got a G name, come on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they could have named Betty Gabby, and then it would have been even... Oh, my God. Know, that that would have been too obvious to, like, have Gabriel and Gabby.
0: And, um, I just kept thinking of her fun. as not Claudia, so... <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, it's granny, right? Um, And I mean, Philip does ask her if she's okay at the end when Elizabeth is hiding the fact that she's crying from Philip, but like, that's kind of it. Yeah. Between the two of them.
0: Yeah. I mean, do you want to, I know that you wanted to talk a little bit about the camera work in the conversation between Betty and Elizabeth.
1: Yeah. It's interesting that the camera and this I think speaks to Elizabeth losing some sense of herself even as she's doing this disclosure like the camera cannot put her in the center of the frame it's like the, they are literally yeah. unable to put her in the center of any shot yeah. until the very end after betty very very dramatically dies right they like can't get elizabeth head yeah. on They can't get Elizabeth in the middle of the frame once she steps into Betty's office, like she can't be in the middle of the frame, whereas Betty is often shot head on or almost like at a slight angle and is often in the center of the frame.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really keen observation. I I hadn't been thinking about Elizabeth and Betty sort of in relation to one another in the way that you just presented it, but I did notice that we keep getting Elizabeth like off to the side of a doorway or like off to the side of the room or like she's sitting at the desk, but like we get her kind of like almost outside of the frame. So Mm -hmm. yeah, the camera is doing some really interesting stuff to like... To center Betty, to sideline Elizabeth, they very rarely felt disconnected.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And that, in you know, in, then at the end, so Betty dies and, like, they're not, like, they're taking their time with that process. Like, yeah. there are multiple death rattles. Like, her body moves as it yeah. passes. And, like, and this is right after she has this moment where she is kind of like on the precipice of of dying, and it's like, is that Gilbert, right, or is yeah. that my husband, or something yeah. like that, who's there? And Elizabeth is reassuring, and then Betty gets like her last, but that's what evil people say, yeah. And then finally, then then dies, right? And then she's like leaned back in her chair, like mouth agape, yeah. And then the camera pulls away, and Elizabeth is now in the center of the room, but like the angle that's kind of above looking down on yeah. the room um, or down on the set like makes Elizabeth seem incredibly small
0: I mean right there's like a whole way to interpret all of these scenes together like in and through the question of agency right and like while there it like Elizabeth is maybe like not she hasn't shot Betty, right? Like, which is mm-hmm. often how we ex- experience death mm-hmm. by Elizabeth's hand. It isn't this active, like, uh, like, role where Elizabeth has, like, the central role in the death. And yet, she still does have a central role in the death. And, like, I take that final shot of the, of Betty's body sort of, like, hanging over the chair a little bit Um, with Elizabeth in the center of the scene to be like, lest you forget, like, Elizabeth is the reason that this woman is dead. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's the right interpretation of it, for sure. Oof. Um, Intense. Do we want to maybe switch gears to talk a little bit about Philip and Gabriel?
1: Yeah, so, like, obviously there's this, you know, we love a walk and talk at the park with our handler. Um, So we get that early in the episode, right? And there's some arguing and disagreements on, uh, that are happening there, and yet there's something that is or is not. And this is what I want to ask you: like, is this confrontation that Philip stages with Gabriel at the end coming out of nowhere?
0: I think this is a great question because, like, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but it is at once like somewhat surprising or startling like in the moment that it happens but i don't think that it comes out of nowhere i think like the the scene in the park and every scene that we've had with gabriel in this season there's been this sort of like ratcheting up of tension between gabriel and philip and moments where we see gabriel try to manipulate or like yeah. or or like be thwarted in his manipulations and so like it feels a little bit To me, it was like a little bit jarring in this particular moment, but it was not unexpected.
1: And it takes place in a moment where Gabriel is, as he's doing throughout the season, both, I think, genuinely trying to connect with his agents and manipulating them, or as Philip accuses him like trying to wrap them yeah. around his finger, where like they talk about love and you know, it's like a bolt of lightning, right? Yeah. Or something is I think the metaphor that that Gabriel uses and he says, you know, asks if it was a bolt of lightning with Elizabeth, and Philip's kind of like yes, and Elizabeth error Gabriel says that Elizabeth, you know, rejected the first officer assigned to her. Yeah. Right? That you're not in this alone. Elizabeth loves loves you, I love you. And then Philip blows up.
0: I thought that the description of, like, Elizabeth, who she, she, Gabriel's like, Elizabeth chose you in her own way. And I thought that was kind of sweet. <laughs> I was like, oh. And then Philip's like, fuck you. <laughs>
1: I mean, especially when, you know, Gabriel's saying, I love you. And again, like, this is manipulative and I think yeah. it's genuine at the same time. Which is, you know, he's obviously not the only character doing that in the entirety of the yeah. Americans or in this season in particular. Like, yeah.
0: I wonder if part of the conflict is, on the one hand, like, f- for, like, people embedded in such a system, like, a spy, espionage, etc. system, like, love and manipulation are coming, are, like, always going to be twisted together. I mean, we see the same, a, a similar kind of twisting, although slightly differently, happening with Philip and Martha, right? Absolutely. Um, but, I wonder if part of like the tension is that like Philip kind of refuses to, to play that game with Gabriel Mm -hmm. and like Philip plays that game with Elizabeth, right? For sure. Philip plays that game with Martha and and, like is in control (laughs) of that game with Martha.
1: Helps to be a sex God.
0: Helps to be a sex God. He plays that game with Paige, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and he played it with Annalise, like all of these Um, and, and he's unwilling to like play the love manipulation game with Gabriel. And I think at least for Philip, it's like, he's refusing to be manipulated.
1: Yeah. And it's, I mean, I've appreciated that you pointed out that he's doing his own version of this with Paige. Yeah. Which is important here precisely because the thing that he's most mad with Gabriel about is that he thinks that Gabriel is colluding with Elizabeth to yeah. manipulate Paige and by extension manipulate Philip into yeah. like acceding to Paige going into spy training.
0: There's a like a lot of steps <laughs> to the colluding and manipulation.
1: Well, that's the, yeah. So like, he's yeah. you know, he's manipulating Paige in his own way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like... Gabriel interfering and participating in the like indirect manipulation of Page is not is a line that he is unwilling for Gabriel to cross.
0: Yeah, I think like Philip is not willing to I mean I think Philip for himself and also for Page and I think he maybe also wants this for Elizabeth but realizes that like he doesn't have control over this is like he's unwilling for Gabriel to be puppet master or to have control of their lives or he's like mm-hmm uncomfortable with Gabriel being in the driver's seat and like that's fascinating to me because Philip and Elizabeth were both uncomfortable with Claudia right there was a different kind of discomfort with Kate but like Philip is deeply uncomfortable with Gabriel and Elizabeth is not and I'm I'm sort of interested in I think we've seen pieces of why that is but it feels like the whole story is not there at least for me.
1: Yeah, I think it is. I mean, part of it is that they are, or Philip at least, right? Elizabeth is happy with Gabriel as handler. But for Philip, like, can't be happy with anybody being his or their handler is, I think, part of it.
0: That makes sense.
1: And then I think it also is just the, they hoped that Gabriel coming back would be a slight de-escalation as much as possible in their lives and in the stress on them. Yeah. When in fact, because Gabriel is carrying out this project of the second generation director yeah. at S children, that it has increased the tension between yeah. the two of them. So I think there's something about that yeah. jarring contrast to Philip of expectation versus what actually happened. You know, and Gabriel's like also towing the line and saying that they tow the line too right something about like you should trust the organization he kind of barks at them at Uh, the end of their walk and talk in the park
0: well this is exactly what i was going to bring up which is like the i I think it's interesting that he tells both of them that they should trust uh the center and and not just like philip or not just elizabeth that he says it to both of them because like He's right that, like, as a team, they don't trust the center, right? Like, there are pieces of it that are different for each of them. But, like, together, they don't trust the center.
1: They definitely don't. And that conversation kind of does reconfigure some of the normal relationships. And, again, yeah. it's all in the service of Gabriel's attempt at manipulation. Because here it's Philip saying, yes, we can keep Martha going as an agent. I don't have a problem with male robot." Bugging, so long as somebody other than Martha is picking yeah. it up. And at one point, Gabriel says that, like, he trusts Philip, right? And yeah. that's not, those aren't words that Elizabeth is necessarily used to hearing. Yeah. And so that's part of the, like, who's trusting who conflict yeah. in that conversation is that normally it's Gabriel and Elizabeth versus Philip. But here, maybe Gabriel's mad at Elizabeth because Elizabeth knew, found out. From Philip, because Philip shared the information about Misha that Gabriel was hoping to use for manipulation purposes. So there are all these like dynamics that are at play in the background there.
0: Yeah, and like, this brings us back to something we were talking about with regard to Elizabeth, right? And Elizabeth's conversation with Betty around like, I do this for my family, right? I do this to make, I have a family, I do this to, to I do this to make the world a better place, and she doesn't say family, but like, is thinking broadly about it, and, we get a sort of mirror image of that conversation in the in the conflict with Philip at the end. And Philip says, I do this for my family. And so this is where I have a question for you. Yes. Because like this is coming on the heels of the earlier conversation around Martha, and Philip sort of like getting a bit flustered about Martha changing the tape. So do you think that Philip sees Martha as part of his family?
1: Consciously, no, but Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Consciously, like uh he would never admit it or may not be able to realize it for himself, but yes.
0: Yeah, I mean that I asked because that's sort of where I was and I think that I Good question. I've spent like much of the, you know, 3 plus or 2 plus seasons of the show that I've seen being like, "Okay, Martha is just like instrumental. Like she's instrumental to these other ends." And this felt like the first episode where I was like, "Oh, that instrumental is starting to feel less instrumental, less like a means to an end.
1: For me, I don't think it's the first, but it is the deepest communication okay. of that, I think, for me. yeah, It's also notable that Elizabeth, again, in one of her, like, runs down to the floor of the machine shop while Philip is going on Mail Robot for 17 hours. 17 is hours. It's like, you know, he she says... You know, it's okay that you love Martha or whatever it is that she, that Elizabeth says. And Philip's like, thanks for your permission.
0: This is my notes. Thanks for your permission. Cold, all caps, (laughs) underlined five times. Like, really intense. (laughs) It was like, she was just trying to, like, smooth the waters over, like, relax. And I feel like there are a lot of places in this episode where we sort of have Philip in what seems like more of the Elizabeth position, like, a, a little bit more on the attack. Um, and Elizabeth, like a little bit less on the attack, which I just think is kind of fascinating. It sure is. Is this maybe the place where we move from uh, this discussion into Philip and Martha?
1: Yes, what an awkward fucking dinner well, that Martha. <laughs> and Martha's just gonna fucking power through, like no awkward in here, no awkward detected. I made pasta. I got the good fucking tomatoes and basil at the store. I'm oh not doing pans and linguine. We've got some wine. It's delicious. Like I'm wearing the sweater that we will get to in the 80s <laughs> segment, um, and I'm just gonna give you some more information and volunteer. You more information to you about the FBI, you didn't even have to ask me. I'm just like, oh, Mail Robots broken. Gad lost it, and Gad might lose his job, and Gene is under suspicion, and Philip's like, who's Gene? And so <laughs> Martha's like, oh, I've got all this new information for you.
0: Martha in this cold open, <laughs> which like that like all of it together is like Eight minutes long. It's, it's long. like a super long cold open. um I had to. I paused the show to see like how long it had been until the credit started, and it was eight minutes. But Martha, okay, the powering through of dinner, like on the on we, the one we've hand, we've all done
1: that. We've all, we've done,
0: all it. done it. And Matthew Reese is just like I. Not sure what's going on, and he plays like his face acting is so good. Yeah. Okay. So that's one powering through the dinner. Like, why? Like, this is wild. But then when she's just like, let me word vomit all of this information about the FBI. I I just like how does Martha like this to me is like Martha knows he's like some kind of spy. But yes, but doesn't know that he's like a, a Soviet spy, right? Yeah, like that I
1: think that's the correct read, yes.
0: And she's like, well, in end, it's like that. and also like Martha is just so deeply in love with this man or his sex skills or both. Um, to to be like, well, the thing that he needs to keep loving me is information. Yeah, and let me give it to him. Holy shit.
1: What a breakdown of the situation. And I mean, there's... And Martha specifically says, right, like, Martha, quote, doesn't want to know more than I have to, right? Um, Early on, like, they're not even going to talk about anything more. Martha's just like, all right, you shared something about yourself. Like, I know you're a spy or something like a spy yeah. or, something. or something and we're just going to keep going and don't worry the uh child protective family services has called and i'm just like <laughs> we've reconsidered we've reconsidered it's oh, not the right time wow. uh and very cordial very nice to person on the phone and then you know to clark she's just like it's unrealistic it's unrealistic, Danielle, you think?
0: These are, <laughs> to, my, these
1: are my notes. have a foster John. child with your spy husband, quote.
0: John, these are my notes. Philip trusts Martha. All caps, wild, but real. This is the real Philip. Then, all caps, how is Martha happy to see him? Okay, no more with the kids, good. Is Martha a sociopath?
1: <laughs> <laughs> She's fine. She's fine. She's fine.
0: Is she if, fine?
1: If the, no, she's not, and like it's that's the like, thing. But there is like some, and you know, I'm trying to like think about how to frame this. But yeah. it's 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 as if they're leaving open us to interpret Martha as the way the show depicts Martha is like a depiction of the amount of self-deception and bad faith that is required for a certain ideal of heterosexual marriage right like the like the amount of like patriarchal like disciplining um and self-disciplining self-disciplining um because martha is like determined to be fine for the sake of This love, this notion of love, yeah. this marriage, whatever, right? So much so that she's like, "Let me make this fancy meal and get the good wine and you know be as cheery as fucking possible." Clark's like dreading walking in. Yeah. He, he like walks in slowly and dramatically. Yeah. Martha's just like, "Oh, I went to the store and got some basil, some tomatoes, and the <laughs> oh my God.
0: I'm like having a breakdown thinking about this interaction and like Clark had to experience it and like I can't imagine putting a, a character on like embodying a character and then having to experience this wildness and just being like yeah cool great. Let's go sleep together. Like, sounds great. Like, <laughs> manja. <laughs> Something about the manja. like, really.
1: No, I mean, I'd, it, the, the manja. like, broke my brain. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, like, A, I think we determined that, like, Martha not on The Sopranos and not Italian. No. Not, not in, although, although, you know, now that I say that, and maybe there is, like, a Martha Carmelo Soprano, you know,
0: Never watched it. No idea. Literally, I have no idea what uh, you're talking about. <laughs> uh,
1: speculation to do about whether there, there's some similarities or resonances there. But anyway, but like, it's the, I'm going to be hyper enthusiastic about us having this dinner together to prove that everything is fine.
0: I know. That feels like, that's the part of it that feels like the the saddest. Yep. Like. Exactly. I, Okay, we have to stop talking about Martha because it's just like I'm making my—it's making like all of my skin crawl. Um, we'll come back to her though. Mm-hmm. Let's end this main discussion, talking a little bit about everything that happens with Hans, which is a whole Jesus other Christ. crazy thing. Hans
1: just like Hans. fucking it up, like our hunky South African anti-apartheid economist oh guy bro God. friend, <laughs> like. Bro his, friend. <laughs> So upset That his crush slash mom Slash spy trainer Elizabeth Is like you're done mm-hmm. Right Todd maybe saw you We let Todd live and you're done We'll just that call he... Elizabeth Jocasta <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. Maybe, maybe The Americans really is just, you know, an extremely, extremely sideways retelling. That's going to be my uh, meta
0: take. At the end of all of this, I'm just going to be like, here's how The Americans is just a Greek tragedy re envisioned.
1: Great. Every, w- spoiler, what journal, what journal are we reading that for?
0: Lateral? <laughs> spoiler everyone's Tiresias. <laughs>
1: That one's for the real heads, Danielle. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's, everyone's Tiresias. The slogan for the not quite great books TV <laughs> podcast.
0: Oh my god. I really cracked myself up today. <laughs> and you, which makes me feel good. Um, yeah. Okay, let's talk about let's um, talk about
1: Elizabeth so, and Hunt. So, so Serious faces on. To Elizabeth, like, Stating clear boundaries. Elizabeth isn't happy about this. She's, like, invested however many months of training, like, puppy dog Hans. Um, He fucks up, like, a very simple thing. Yeah. And now they have to go find somebody new to play this role of, like, surrogate child slash spy aide. And Hans responds to this by going to, like, the book warehouse depository and fucking murdering Todd with a bullet through the fucking eye.
0: Well first we get the bullet through the eye, which like seems to somewhat incapacitate like Todd's speech, but not actually kill him. Which is like, oh like this is the this is the episode. That's
1: a Greek Greek mythology (laughs) reference.
0: I mean Maybe this is the episode of like slow Death, <laughs> like there's a different version of this where we're just like doing Berlin slow death chapter, but it's not it's not here, but so first he shoots Todd, and Todd then seemingly can't speak but is still like functioning yeah. okay, so so like very well very well, well enough to get to the elevator, Hand
1: is also a bumbling fool, so that helps Literal helpful. idiot.
0: And, like, didn't bring more than one bullet. I really was like, is Hans going <laughs> to shoot himself by looking at the gun to see if... <laughs> I was worried there. Then they, they, then the, like, fight ensues in the elevator and Hans has to choke him in order to, like, to to kill him. And it's just, like...
1: And, like, what did Hans do with the body? Why is Elizabeth, like, okay with this? Like, and seemingly about to take Hans back? And
0: Well, and the other question I have, right, is, like... And this is, I think, just so that I can get my thinking about this straight, or maybe just a clarification, which is Elizabeth and Philip decide not to kill the South, the like, not to kill Todd, right? Because they've he's given them information, and they are hoping that he'll be able to continue to give them information.
1: I think they're leaving that possibility open. Yes. So,
0: like, isn't this also? to some extent, a kind of fuck up on Elizabeth's part. Like they could have killed Todd and kept like, and kept Hans, right? Like she has, she's having to make a choice there.
1: That's what I was kind of getting at the, with my, I think I asked you in the dossier last time, like, are we going to see Todd again? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I so like, I was, I was leading us down this path. Um, yeah.
0: I wasn't expecting us to see Todd again so soon. And in this very tragic way,
1: Yeah. I also wanna note I don't know. I think this may have been on purpose, but the fact that, like, you have the two of them on, on, you know, opposite sides of, like, debating whether apartheid is legitimate and Todd's all for apartheid and white supremacy and Hans understands himself to be opposed to white supremacy, like, and that they're... Todd gets shot with he's carrying a bundle of, like, shitty middle school world (laughs) history textbooks that probably do a terrible job of talking about apartheid. I just thought that was a nice touch in my, like...
0: I'm sure that those books don't even talk about apartheid because they're outdated.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Oh my God. Wow. Okay. So I think there's a structural question to end on and you mentioned this already, Daniel, but like, why do you think this episode where obviously the centerpiece are the multiple scenes at the repair shop, at the machine shop starts with a, just a very long cold open or B starts specifically the first part of that cold open is Hans and Elizabeth.
0: Yeah, this is a good question that I was trying to think a little bit about. And I my sense of it is that we start with Elizabeth and Hans, I think, in part to, like, remind us that all of the choices that Philip and Elizabeth make are never choices that are made in isolation, right?
1: Good. Very good, yeah.
0: And so, like, I think the like the Hans of it, the Martha of it, right, like, the Gabriel of it, all of it, like, the networked... Um, impact and implications of all their choices feels more pronounced when we are like not starting or ending with just the two of them, right? That's, that's, That's how I read it.
1: It's a great read of the situation. And the only thing I would add is that I think we're also meant to contrast the risks that elizabeth is not initially willing to take for hans yes and then we get the reverse of that where philip in the very next scene is like i trust martha elizabeth's not wanting to run that risk anymore she's like we're done with martha dot 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 and (laughs) philip is totally willing perhaps because to your question earlier he sees martha as part of some notion of his family. yeah. Like he is totally willing and totally confident. Like I trust her. Martha doesn't want to know more than she has to, you know, give it time, do nothing, all of this. So like, I think it's also about the risks that they are and are not willing to run, which then culminates in the scene where we actually see Philip is right. Seemingly about Martha here.
0: Or at least right for now. Yeah. Um, TBD.
1: (laughs) That sounds like that sounds like Danielle was setting up the segue to the Danielle dossier.
0: Yeah, of course we have to start with uh, Philip and Martha and the dossier. So I have amended my developing theory (laughs) slightly. Um, And the generally the theory is that Martha's going to die. Of course, still believe this. I think this episode like doubles down on that. But the the amendment here is that I don't think Philip is the one who's going to kill Martha. I okay. think that Martha will die like, but Philip either won't be able to kill her or like actually will be against because I think in this episode we see the againstness.
1: Okay. So your prediction is that it will be a Soviet.
0: Yeah. yeah, some, yeah, yeah.
1: Or affiliate a Soviet affiliate. Yeah.
0: Soviet, yeah. I wouldn't okay. be surprised if it was Gabriel with his own bare hands, but I'm not willing to like put that in stone.
1: Okay. <laughs> Noted.
0: Um, okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that we get this gene check-in, right? And Philip's like, like you said, who's Gene? And Martha's like, Oh This is who Gene is. And we also get a question from Elizabeth in the in the Elizabeth Philip Gabriel scene being like, don't we have someone else on the inside? And Gabriel's like, we'll figure it all out, right? And I'm just Yeah, he's
1: like, well, you know, there are janitors and male clerics. There are people
0: that exist that we could tap into. And I'm like, this is one step away from being like, yeah, we've got another dude, but I don't want to tell you because I don't trust you to not tell Martha.
1: Mm-hmm. I just great. feel like Excellent Whether it's right or not This is a great theory
0: <laughs> Thank you Last, Lastly in the dossier I think Stan's gonna start sleeping with Danita <laughs>
1: <laughs> He can't resist <laughs> So Soviet a double agent Literally, Or maybe double agent
0: This is in my notes before It's like before the whole Stan thing Which we'll talk about in a minute When he's waiting outside and, like, it wasn't quite clear to me what was happening in this particular moment. And he's holding the food. I go, I write, Oh no, is Stan going to sleep in Zanieta, And I do feel like that could be coming down the
1: line. <laughs> I, again, whether the sense of coming true or not, I fucking love this person.
0: <laughs> Listen, Stan needs to, like, get his rocks off somewhere. So,
1: <laughs> what happened to Tori? Where's Tori? Tori That's my was, question. Tori
0: was too enlightened for him.
1: That's it. A- <laughs> That's the fucking truth. Let let me tell you what. Yeah. No est women for this uh, est man.
0: No, he's not an est man.
1: He's not an est man. Philip's more of an est man than Stan. It's honestly really true. All right. With that, let's head into Gloss.
0: Yeah, let's head into Gloss. That that brings us nicely to our first entry in Gloss.
1: Jesus Christ. Only (laughs) against Stan in this. I don't know. Okay, so there are several things that I want to discuss here. One is, what here's the serious question that we can laugh at the okay. absurdity of all of this. Okay, what makes Oleg change his mind to now be in on this scheme, to this like hairbrain, fucking ridiculous scheme to try to trade Zineda for Nina? Because back several episodes ago, he's like, "No, this is not going to work. Like, this isn't happening. I'll check on it, but whatever." What do you think has changed for Oleg?
0: I feel like it's his dad calling Arkady to be like. Yeah. Send my boy home, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Like there's something about that that's like, fuck you. I'm my own man. I will do what I want.
1: I think that I'm my own man. Part really, yeah. really answers the question.
0: Not the fuck you.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, always, uh, I'm just Yeah. Um, okay, now we've gone out of the way. A, I love Ollie Eggs. Like I'm Slick on back gangster, Slick back <laughs> hair. I think he has a fake mustache on. Yeah, a
0: hundred percent.
1: There's some glasses that are happening you know, he's sitting in the dark like it's uh like Dateline NBC interview from nineteen ninety two um is the vibe. Like it's it's giving Dateline ninety two. <sighs> When he's there waiting to question Oh my
0: god, Zanita. I can't <laughs> there's,
1: there's that aspect of it. Then there's Stan, like, is oh, checking his watch, man. making sure he gives Oleg enough time. Goes in and be like, Oh, Zanita, I have your dinner. Oh no, I got hit in the fucking head by Oleg, And you know what? Oleg really, really, really hit Stan in the head.
0: This is the best part when when they get in the car later, <laughs> after Dad sends Stan home for like maybe being bad at his job which I want to come back to in a moment yes. but Sam goes to Oleg. Egg really really wanted to crack me over the head it's like of course he did that is like what we all got here from
1: yeah I mean Stan do you remember when you had the chance to give information to the Soviets to save Nina and just said I'm sorry and then Oleg Egg both wants to save Nina and work with you to save Nona. Nina because of bro code yeah. but also like wants to crack you over the head
0: Oh my god. Okay, so there's that. Then there's also, so here's a question that I think the like, Stan Olieg stuff raises in a way that's perhaps different than we've been consistently raising it, which is, like, did Stan fail at his job? Because he either has failed at his job, like, by allowing this to transpire, or he's failed at his job for, like, Actively transpiring with, I don't know, it's like this is like a lot. Like, and Gad and Adderholt sort of look at him like, Oh, didn't you check the room? And he's like, I did. And he sort of resigned to the failure of it all. I don't know, there's something about it,
1: right? Because Stan's self-delusion deception and why he's not an S-man is that he's like,
0: yeah.
1: I'm breaking some rules. I may be working with the Soviets to figure out if this other Soviet is actually a double agent, but ultimately I'm going to find out whether she's a double agent or not. And if it gets my non-girlfriend girlfriend, girlfriend whom I'm deeply in love with and who is a triple <laughs> a- agent for the Soviet Union, back to then that's great. <laughs> so that Stan's narrative like, in his head and Kat and Adderall are just like, what the fuck is wrong with you, my dude?
0: I was just about to say, can you imagine having that kind of narrative? And I'm like, I'm sure there's a version of my own narratives that, like, have all of those steps to it, too. for sure.
1: For sure. (laughs) Lower lower stakes.
0: Lower stakes.
1: But true. But
0: similar, like... like bizarreness
1: (laughs) look if if uh, the entirety of martha is uh like a a critique of the self-delusion required for uh patriarchal heterosexual marriage then stan is a commentary on the (laughs) like inescapable self-delusion and deception that we as human beings uh, all must go through in order to live our lives and carry out what we understand to be our life projects
0: one million percent agree. It's a matter <laughs> of self... Stan's, de, like, self-delusion is a matter of
1: self-preservation. Something like that. <laughs> wow, Stan. That? It's just, like, that... I don't know. Oh the whole Stan God. in this episode is just so ridiculous that it's actually funny to me more than anything else. Zinniada. Agree. <laughs> like, agree. So her favorite candy... Milky Way. Favorite sandwich, BLT. Bacon. It's just like, I got it. I know,
0: I know. I've I've had a BLT, lady. Come on. (laughs)
1: Let's get out of here. Oh, Stan. All right, (laughs) Danielle. We get, I don't know, 41 seconds or something of the kids in this episode.
0: I... I love it. It's Paige, the parent. She's like, Henry, like, you know that when you go to bed late, like, it's hard for you. And I'm like, good thing Paige is here, like, momming it up because Elizabeth and and Philip are, like, I don't know, knee deep in a disassembled male robot.
1: Yeah. And k- killing an old baby in the process. Uh. Yeah. So there's that aspect of it. And there's also, like, Paige's... You know, growing up too fast, like yeah. being shoved into adulthood, which clearly has nothing to do with that. She's maybe being trained to be a spy by Elizabeth. Definitely is being trained to be a spy Elizabeth. And like herself, like her understanding of Henry's needs. Do I stay up too late watching the Americans or doing whatever and playing with my cat every single night and thus go to bed too late and I'm exhausted all the time? I do. <laughs> and Paige, who's 16, like would have none of that.
0: It's a read. It's a John McMahon read. It's true. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. And Um, then,
1: of course, Paige goes back to her heavily sticky-noted Bible. Listen. It's like she's in grad school and... Uh, Jesus is her supervisor. You took
0: the words out of my mouth, except for that last part. <laughs> we have to move on now. I feel, I feel angry.
1: <laughs> just wait till Danielle's uh, Greek hiatus comes this summer and John and Keller and I sneak in with like 18,000 hours of Popecast.
0: I'm happy for you guys to do that. I just like want to be able to guest in on one of them and just like. Give you a sense of what I think the one of the shows is about, even if I haven't watched
1: it. We'll see about that.
0: Okay. Oh, um, we'll see about that on my own podcast. Okay.
1: Cool. Only, only if you're calling in from the Vatican. Only oh. if you go to Rome and <laughs> it'll like, be a vi- do it'll, some remote reporting. It'll be a
0: video Netflix podcast reports. for the Patreon.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay.
0: Um, we talked a little bit about this, but Martha's manja is, like, yeah. still, like, still tough.
1: All right. Can we, can we go to hat talk? Okay. I have several thoughts about the hats, but I think you do as well. You should go first.
0: First of all, you're spies. Keep the hats on. Like, if that's your yeah. only disguise, keep your hats on. This, like... When Elizabeth is talking to Betty and she's like, what's your name? And and Elizabeth's like, Elizabeth. And I'm like, there. that's when I was like, okay, this is going to get interesting. But I'm also like, you're a spy. Don't tell this lady her- your name. You don't know. Like, maybe someone has bugged this place. Like, you're bugging mail robot. I don't know. I'm just, like, too suspicious for any of this.
1: Where Ooh, the heck That's is? a good idea. The FBI should have been, like, checking a little more thoroughly on the mail robot repair facility.
0: Listen, they didn't even bat an eye when Stan's like, I looked, but I didn't see any like greasy <laughs> like fake
1: Russian village. Yeah. <laughs> A so, very tall man. Like oh like Saronin's gotta be like six three or something.
0: This is like another just like another entry into the it, this show never would work today, and thank <laughs> God it's set in the eighties.
1: Yeah. Thank goodness. Indeed. All right. So the hats, Philip is like really into his 51 year old middle, you know, middle-aged man situation with like a, I don't know what you would call that hat. It's like a Kangol, but it's not Kangol brand hat that he's got on here. (laughs) Great. Um, so that's a look for him. I'm more interested in Elizabeth who is wearing the uh Kendall Roy of Succession. It's a baseball cap, <laughs> but there's no logo, there's no words, there's no letters, there's nothing. Just a baseball cap. Aww. Kendall Roy, and actually the whole Roy family, right, love a baseball cap and a fucking suit, and I I hate it. I guess this is like a tech bro thing. It's like Kevin Feige. Finance bro thing, but the hat with like nothing. I'm not a hat guy myself, but like a hat with nothing and a business outfit pass that's (laughs) got to be like one of the worst finance bro fashion perks and yet here is elizabeth jennings wearing a hat with no logo as if she walked off of a cameo on succession with kendall roy
0: you know who else in addition to what i take to be the succession cast which obviously (laughs) i've never seen this show um but you know who else loves a logoless hat who's that chris evans He's like known for like wearing a logoless hat, okay, and sunglasses well, I mean, yeah, to be incognito. But he's but similar to Philip and Elizabeth. It doesn't actually make them look like different people.
1: And earmuffs, <laughs> <to use a laughs> phrase from one of our mutual our mutual favorite podcasts. But earmuffs, Danielle, if Chris Evans were not like a hunky actor, like he would be a bad finance bro.
0: I don't think he's smart enough to be a bad financial. Well, that's bro. why I said
1: bad. I mean, I meant bad, not as in like particularly shady. Bad is oh, like oh, probably oh. not smart enough to yeah. do the shady Agree. shit.
0: Agree. Agree. Listen, so- I'm an adult. I can hear it now. You start to to trash talk Harry Styles, which Amy tried to do to me over over uh, Instagram DM
1: great i <laughs> actually support producer amy in this i know um, that you do i know that you do don't worry i, uh, I mean it were, with my were, sisters. Uh, we're a few days after the grammys where yet another white man stole beyonce's rifle. listen so,
0: um, here's i had this conversation with my sisters i'll go on record saying it here i think that beyonce should have won for Lemonade, should have won for many other things. I actually don't think that Renaissance is as good as those other albums. Now,
1: like, Still better than Harry's house.
0: Disagree. But also, like, music is subjective and probably one of the more subjective things that, like, we experience. And so, like... I don't know. There are plenty of people who are going to say that like this album shouldn't have won. And I think if Beyonce won, there would have been plenty of people saying that Beyonce shouldn't have won either. Like that's just, it's like, extremely subjective i know that you think that music is like objective capital t truth no, but <laughs> uh,
1: you know i am a platonist after all i know i was actually gonna say something different other than uh, a platonist thing is that <laughs> i just want to point out that not five minutes ago we were talking about stan and the capacity for self-deception and i think there's some um, dealing with cognitive dissonance that we're witnessing on there <laughs>
0: i don't think it's self deception Here's the thing. I don't, I don't know that we are capable of saying this is objectively like the best artistic thing. Yes. I
1: would, that's that's fair. I'm, I, I would say specifically Beyonce should have won is how I would frame it. That's
0: fair. That's totally fair. And I will respectfully
1: disagree. I see. I'm, I'm just assuming. Is this what uh, producer Amy was <laughs> uh, attacking you about earlier Amy, this week? Or the not? truth
0: is, Amy wasn't attacking me. I, my sister sent me. There was a video of a like cousin, like the person who leads the prayer in synagogue, like using the as it was melody and like tune. For the prayers, so I sent it to Amy because it's like very like niche <laughs> producer Amy content. Sure. And Amy's response back was, "I guess you couldn't. I guess none of the songs on Renaissance could be like computed into a like Jewish prayer." <laughs> <laughs> to which that's I did. I laughed, but then didn't respond because I'm like, I'm not. I'm not getting into this.
1: <laughs> that's ironic considering Beyonce there is, know, is
0: in the internet. I know, but
1: nonetheless, I'm still unfortunately for my wonderful co-host. Yeah. I think I'm on producer Amy's side on this one.
0: That's fine. The like album of the year qualifications are not most musically complex, which like I would agree that Beyoncé's like music is more complex. But she didn't win. So get over it. <laughs> wow.
1: Strong <laughs> takes. And what's it, what's it, what's particularly funny is that like the listeners kind of get this in April or May. <laughs> I think...
0: Listen, at, like, right now, Harry has just come to the Brits and is wearing a fire outfit. So, like,
1: I feel fine about it. Wow. Don't worry. Tori's texting me. Harry, St- <laughs> Harry Styles cast, like, you know, we can't <laughs> escape it. I don't even know how we got here, to be 100% honest. I, like, literally don't remember. Hats. Um Hats. Hats.
0: I don't know yeah. how we got here from that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to let's go to Scrabble crossword. Yeah.
1: Any thoughts on, you know, we contested the depiction of Scrabble earlier on. My only note here is that and this is also I think consistent with Gabriel like trying to butter up Philip. He's like, Philip, you got a whole seventeen points. Great job.
0: And Philip's like, don't do that. And I was like, I like felt Philip in that moment. I was like, Yeah, Gabriel, don't do that.
1: Yeah. So, okay. Sphinx was a good play. Great. Yeah. That that Great. we respect. But Great. like
0: good, you got the X. Congratulations.
1: <laughs> but like honestly, if you got the X, you should be trying to get a little more than twenty five points out of it.
0: Yeah. Well, you should be putting the X on like a triple letter score, right? Yeah, exactly. and you should be hoping to get like also a triple word score with it at some point. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'm with you on that. I it was patronizing, and Philip yeah. called him out for it, and that and thus began yeah. a uh, <laughs> a downward
1: spiral. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. Danielle, the nine-inch nails reference she didn't even know uh, that she was making—and while she did while, know that, <laughs> great. Good. Congratulations driven wow. past maynard
0: keynes's house in Jerome, <laughs> Arizona.
1: Okay, wait a second. What band is Maynard Keynes it's, in,
0: Danielle? It's not Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> Tool? Oh, it's Tool. Sorry. Sorry. Um, that <laughs> I
1: tried that to... is even better. That is even better. Sorry. Um, oh, man. Oh, my God. Wow. Listen, uh,
0: it's for people like me that Harry Styles wins. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this Trent Reznor erasure will not stand.
0: Oh, I was like, who is... I was like, it's Maynard Keynes the most iconic <laughs> musician of the last 30 years? No. <laughs> Trent Reznor, that, that name resonates with me. I knew... Anyway. Rock
1: musician. Let's Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not Billy Joel. On there. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry to break it to you, but it's not. Billy Joel number two in your honor. Oh! Um, <laughs> <laughs> Trent, <Russell. laughs> Trent Oh my
0: god, Russell. we have to go on because, like, I'm gonna lose my mind.
1: Okay, so Stan's got the crossword puzzle going. It's yeah. like he waits for this cockamamie scheme with <sighs> Olya to play itself out. I wish we just had it with him. <laughs> I should have freeze framed to see if there was like subtle clues about Americans in oh, the crossword puzzle. Smart. All right, glass. You know, I love a sound design note. So I just want to point out that the Stan and Oleg abandoned warehouse meeting, the like dripping water is extremely loud in the mix. (laughs) Like they really were going for, we are in an abandoned warehouse with trickling water situation here.
0: I believe you, but I did not catch that. (laughs) Okay.
1: That brings me to a related question, Danielle. Yeah. Which is, how are there so many goddamn abandoned warehouses everywhere in the Americans verse which takes us to Bard Nostalgia for the Unremembered 80s which is not a Nine Inch Nails nor Tool reference (laughs) we've we've exhausted my
0: knowledge of both of those bands and and as you saw I thought that they were the same so again um, my answer to your Abandoned Warehouse query is like it's the economy stupid no (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's a little bit later. Um, but I feel like it's the like post-industrialism, like the capitalism, like blah, 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 no more workers, lots of abandoned warehouses.
1: I think that's a great point. And the <laughs> other point I would make is something that you, I think, are effectively constantly reminding us of, and that is that... Not everybody, A, like, has a cell phone, yeah. and B, like, surveillance culture is not quite the same, probably, in 1983 as it is in yeah. 2023.
0: Not quite, but we're sad for it. You, We are? Uh, we're... For the
1: current state of surveillance, or sad for the loss of the less surveillance?
0: Sad world? for the loss of the less surveillance world, yeah. Got it.
1: I support that. All right.
0: You made a comment before about Martha's sweater. So I want to open the floor for you to just, just like lay it out there for us. Okay.
1: It's nice and it's like a very fuzzy sweater in a way that I associate with the 80s. But I think what really brings it all home, what really ties it together is the like dangling, like fuzzy, like puff balls off of the like fake tie at the top of the sweater. That is just screaming yeah. 1980s to me.
0: I'm pretty sure one I had sweaters like that in the 80s, and also it kind of looked like Martha was like, so like a mother popple. Um, do you know what popples are?
1: <laughs> oh, but I wanted. <laughs> oh my god,
0: to. popples are this like stuffed animal. You have to like you'll have to Google it when we're done. But they are this like stuffed animal that. Has a pocket on its back that you can roll the thing up in a ball. but they have these tails with the with a poof on the end. Anyway,
1: <laughs> are you are you looking it up? I'm de- I'm deep in Google image searches of popples. This is these are disturbing creatures.
0: <laughs> I had so many of them. We had the green one. I had a blue one. I had the big pink one. My sister okay. had the purple one. They must be. See, have been I was
1: cheap. I was Beanie Baby's generation.
0: So Beanie Baby, you're like a little micro-gen- bit microgen.
1: Young- yeah, I was Beanie Baby's microgen.
0: Yeah, so you're like a little bit younger than me, but Beanie Babies were big, like when I was in elementary school, but like popples yeah. were like around I think Popples are probably around around the time of cabbage patch kids. Okay. There's, like- cabbage
1: patch kids, that that's a crossover across our two microgenerations. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right, Danielle, what else do we have in the dossier?
0: Um Elizabeth's mom jeans. <laughs>
1: For sure. But I will say the most stylish possible 80s mom jeans that are available for wearing.
0: A million percent. I think the other thing that I wanted to just mention in the dossier is Henry's handheld game, Uh, (laughs) which I think it's too early for it to be Game Boy. But it's like the thing that he's distracting himself with, um, which I, you know, I love a handheld game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Betty's there doing the books. And I think, like, <laughs> the manual bookkeeping nature yeah. it probably belongs in Bar Nostalgia from the remembered 80s.
0: Uh, no, manual bookkeeping, and that one would do one's own bookkeeping.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, like exactly, so- right? Yeah. Now you like pay of uh, somebody freelancing, or like yeah, run, is running a app scheme to like we'll take care of your accounting for you. Exactly. Small business owner, and uh, you know, there's exactly. nothing shady that happens with those. I'm sure. <laughs> no, nothing. Okay. I think so. Stan <laughs> is an endless well of endless. humor in this episode. <laughs> really, hey, like holds advice being like, you probably, you shouldn't do this. They tell you not to do it. But, but trust me, yeah. take your aspirin with your beer. That screams 1980s? That's telling me 1980s?
0: A hundred percent. I also feel like relate on a related topic, drinking and driving, Sam just like <laughs> having beers in his car. Like you can't open a beer in your car. Like that's that is also peak 1980s.
1: Yeah, he, and and, and especially that Oleg's like, you know what? On second thought, I will take some of this whatever and it's unclear what beer they have
0: unclear but can't be cold so <laughs>
1: can't be cold It feels it's like just like a six-pack with like like a fish-killing six-pack of <laughs> gross beer it's like the gross room temperature beer that's been in stands
0: cover. oh it's like um j- it's like natty ice but the <laughs> 80s <laughs> yeah, the, version the equivalent,
1: the equivalent for it like you know what it adult- is of natty ice. It's
0: it's Genesee light. That's it, what it is. That's the okay, like yeah. natty. When my dad's like, oh, like you in college you drank cheap beer, like we drank Jenny Light, and it's Genesee light, it's like just as gross as <laughs> they still sell it in Ithaca, it's just as gross as Natty
1: Light. <laughs> cool. I'm glad we solved this mystery.
0: <laughs> um I think we've gotten to minor character of the week.
1: Let's go for it. What do we have, Danielle? Betty. R.I.P. R.I.P. Another shocking, another minor character who perishes within the episode.
0: Yeah. Played by Lois Smith, who does a bang-up job uh, in this role. It's actually, like, a really impressive performance. Um, But to be fair, and this is something we chatted about, there aren't that many minor characters this week because it's like the movement in the episode is quite contained.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, Lois Smith... This is both a challenge, but I imagine for one would imagines for an actor, like a good challenge mm-hmm. of like has to be both extremely emotionally poignant in subtle yeah. ways, but also gets kind of ham it up a little bit. And she's good at that in this episode. And
0: like ham it up in, uh, this is going to sound like counterintuitive, but like ham it up in some subtle ways, right? Like mm-hmm. she has like a really intense presence without it being like over the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, great job. R.I.P. Betty, we R.I.P. wish we had you for more than one episode, but we mm-hmm. don't. So there we are. Yeah. John, we've gotten into the cave.
1: Got into the cave. Who are we
0: taking into the cave with us?
1: Well, for several reasons. <laughs> Surprising no one including ourselves. Literally, Foucault is all. going to the cave with us. And I think the part of Foucault that we want to talk about, we've obviously talked about Foucault in, yeah. in the cave before. Took him back out of the cave or like we made him like, you know administer quote-unquote discipline yeah exactly um one of the two but we're we're descending into the cave with Foucault this week um i think the kind of main focus is returning to our opening conversation about elizabeth and betty yeah dialogue in this episode and the way that kind of for the first time ever elizabeth gets to do a kind of confession um And so I think we want to take Foucault to the cave to think about his account of the confession, right? So in Foucault's History of Sexuality, Volume 1, right, kind of one of the things that he is doing in that book is to counteract the narrative that, you know, like Victorian society is only sexually repressive. It's trying to like tamp down or tamp out uh, sex and, and in desire at any point at which they pop up. Right. He hates this, what he calls the repressive hypothesis. He thinks that this is like historiographically incorrect, but also like epistemologically and theoretically incorrect as well. Right. Is that fair?
0: Yeah. And that those things are layered, like they're, they're not inseparable from one another.
1: Precisely epistemes and all of that. And (laughs) (laughs) whatnot. And whatnot. Yeah. Um, So... The way that Foucault talks about the discussion, so I'm going to quote a little bit from History of Sexuality, Volume 1. Okay. He uh, talks about how there are all of these places that crop up, um, particularly like around the 17th century in Western Europe, in which rather than sexuality, sex, desire, constantly being repressed, there are all of these places where, in fact, people are asked to produce and narrate knowledge and um, experiences and desire itself, Mm -hmm. right? So he talks about um, the increase Quote, in the vein of Christian tradition, um, necessitating outside interpreters like doctors or priests to decipher the peculiar symptoms of the confessor, and though, end quote, and though Foucault is, you know, confession traditionally associated, obviously, with the Catholic Church, here he's thinking about it as a, like, technology of the self. So one more, and this one longer quote um, from Foucault. Not only does one confess to acts contravening the law, they seek to transform their desire, their every desire. Mm -hmm into discourse. Insofar as possible, nothing was meant to elude this dictum. Even if the words it employed had to be carefully neutralized, there was an apparatus for producing an even greater quantity of discourse about sex, end quote. So that's all Foucault. And so I, you know, Elizabeth is not necessarily directly expressing desire or sex or sexuality in her conversation with, um, Betty in this episode, but there's something about the way that Elizabeth enters this like confessional space to, you know, give up more of what is assumed to be like deep, dark secrets about herself and the kind of like particular apparatus of that conversation and the specific circumstances that takes place within that like produces or almost like perhaps like even demands or compels her to do that sort of self-narration, that like transformation into self, uh, transformation into discourse of the self.
0: Yeah. And I hadn't been thinking about this particular piece of it all yet, but I think like the, the fact that it can only happen for Elizabeth in this space is like incredibly Foucaultian, right? Like it, yeah. like just what you're saying about like the, the context mm-hmm. and, and the, and the condition of confessing and translating her desires into, into discourse you're right that it's not explicitly about sexuality for Elizabeth, but also for Elizabeth like uh her relationship to the center to the motherland, right? Like all yeah. of those things are also like always already like part of her, uh, of like a network of desire for her.
1: That's precisely the right point to make that like nationalism is a site of desire. Right. Her identification with the Soviet Union or with the KGB or with the motherland or whatever is a site of the like production and circulation of desire that she like is confessing in both an open but also extremely like self-tempering way in this conversation.
0: Yeah. And like it is I think in this, in this uh, instance, it's significant that the confession is going to someone who like, cannot uh, like communicate that. Turn
1: that knowledge into power. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Like
0: it's like, it's sort of uh, a flipping of Foucault on his head a little bit because Betty can't turn this knowledge into power, but we like, the that can't is only established at the end of the like at the end of their interaction, right? Like until Betty is dead, she always can turn yeah. that knowledge into power. And that's right. what Elizabeth is afraid of.
1: Right. She's afraid of Betty turning to like those authorities who establish yeah. like the Fugodian can. You know, confessor spaces, yeah. right? um, and kind of more actively like mobilizing the state elements of confession,
0: yeah. She's afraid of Betty calling the police, right? Like, that. like it's oh, it's like so there for us,
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? So, I mean, there's you know, the classic joke, there's the the like crow doing stand up comedy meme where it's like they hate his material, and the card's just like Foucault, the prison, you know, the education is the prison, yeah. the factory is the prison, you know, all of that, yeah, and, that's uh, good, and here we are.
0: We're just a meme. It's fine.
1: Great. All right. I think Foucault, what's what's the verdict on Foucault in the cave?
0: I think Foucault is the one like putting the chains on people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Done.
0: Just like Daddy
1: Foucault. Sold. Always already.
0: Um, I have a theory ship.
1: Whoa.
0: i <laughs> no, I never have them. Wow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but this was like
0: I have a theory ship so that I didn't just like make us talk about tragedy again. Um I wanna give You're
1: saving that saving that for our article at the when we're done with the emeralds.
0: The case. meta <laughs> episode on like the meta episode that like is our confession turning desire into discourse that becomes an article. Yes. Um yeah. I am giving Elizabeth some uh first I'm going to give her some Oedipus for my joke from earlier <laughs> Oedipus Oedipus Tyrannus um just a little, like, weird mother-child relationships happening with Elizabeth. But I also want to give... And Elizabeth
1: and Betty, specifically.
0: Elizabeth and Betty, Elizabeth and Hans, Elizabeth and Paige. Like, all of it. It's all weird. We haven't gotten Henry weirdness, but, like, if he's ever in the show again, we will get it.
1: But Henry has... Uh, does have a picture. <laughs> oh, very true. Of Sandy of Sand- in a in bikini. bikini. Oh, so, like, and, you know... Let's, let us me put it this way. Stan is not not a surrogate dad for Henry. One and
0: million school. percent. Yeah, a so there's weird...
1: Sandy divorced surrogate mom.
0: There's weird family stuff, so like tragedy is great for that. But I also want to give Elizabeth... Oh, man. I want to give her Antigone because I think like making someone kill themselves for like as a function of one's own ideology feels very like antigone But then also I want Elizabeth to read Medea because that Medea kills her children and Elizabeth is effectively like trying to kill her children at all times. So anyway, that's my, those are my theory ships for Elizabeth.
1: I love it. I'm going to actually my, my theory ship this week is not too dissimilar. Yeah. I want to give Hans some Freud. I'm Um, into it. And somewhat for similar reasons, you just identified that like, You know, we've joked on the show that this is a show about how Eros and Thanatos are indeed very closely intertwined with one another. And here, Hans kills Todd because he wants to sleep with his mother, spy trainer, colleague, Elizabeth.
0: I mean, it's like... So it's too much, and so yeah, a little theory ship never hurt anybody.
1: I mean, Er Eros for Elizabeth is going to be Hans's like screamo band um, when he retires from the spy business, but you know
0: he's gonna be dead because he won't retire they have they they will have to kill him
1: so arrows for Elizabeth will never get to make uh, never get to express themselves uh, musically maybe they can recruit Maynard to be the lead singer in Hans's step
0: of not nine inch nails (laughs) (laughs) and with that we have come to the end of a very fun episode um thanks as always to producer Amy up next, in two weeks in the feed, you'll get American Season 3, Episode 10, Stingers. Um, and thank you so much for joining us. On- and we're hoping to have oh, a yeah. guest
1: for the next episode. Not guaranteed yet, but we're working on it.
0: Yeah, we're we're hoping for a returning guest. So stay tuned. I know you're on the edge of your seat, and you should yeah. be. Um, but thank you so much for joining us on Not Quite Great Books.
1: a TV Podcast. Joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast created by Daniel Hanley and John McMahon, and indirectly, producer Amy. You can find us on Twitter at NotGreatBooksTV. You can email us at NotGreatBooksTV at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions that we might potentially read and respond to on air, so subscribe, download, rate, review us, tell your friends to find us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. We would like to thank Less FM for Electro Trend 60s, which is the music that you heard at the beginning and you are hearing right now. Until next time, go play some racquetball.